Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. Is a good case management system keeping you from taking your business to the next level? Crosstracks is the premier case management system for the investigative community. They're the only SOC 2 certified case management software available. Visit Crosstracks.com, tell them you're a listener, and save even more. Get a plan in place for the new year to grow your business to the next level. I want to talk to everybody today about ScopeNow.com. ScopeNow has been a big-time sponsor of this program for quite some time, and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers, and it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information. I think it's one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So. Check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Congrats to our host, Matt Spare. He was named Investigator of the Year by PI Magazine for 2021. You can get a copy of this great issue at PIMagazine.com. So welcome to this week's episode, PI Perspectives. We have a very special show. Former NYPD Chief of Department, Terrence Monahan joins the show. Terry had an impressive 40-year career with NYPD. 
He retired in 2021 and is now working in the world of cryptocurrency investigations. The guys will discuss the ins and outs of this type of investigative work. Please join retired Chief Terry Monahan and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Today I have just a great, great show, an incredible honor. I want to welcome Terrence Monahan to the program. Terrence, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. Yeah. Nice to be here. Yeah. For folks that don't know, uh, this guy had a, a job in New York City. He used to do a couple of things with the police department. Uh, you know, not really a big deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, Chief Monahan actually uh, was heading up NYPD a couple of years ago, and, and I think he retired in 2021, correct? Yeah, I retired. I actually worked for the mayor for COVID recovery and public safety for the last nine months. Now I'm officially retired from city service after 40 years. Wow, 40 years, man. Thank you so much. Um, so we actually met at the Society of Professional Investigators officially uh, when you received uh, an, an honor from them. But I actually met you two days before that at another event in the Bronx, uh, <laughs> which was which was really cool. So there was a personal injury attorney I do business with that was getting an award, and you happened to be attending that event too. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to see you on Thursday. <laughs> so <laughs> it, uh, it all worked out. Um, and I, I think what was interesting was at the time we met, it, you were relatively new to taking over the, the commissioner role, right? Or, or had you been there for, for a bit? Uh, the chief of department role, yeah. I, I took it over in uh, January of 2018. Okay, yeah. So this would have been like October of 2018. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that happened, and, and you highlighted this at the Society of Professional Investigator Dinner um, Award, was the uh, the bombing uh, that took place uh, in Manhattan. At, I think it was a TD Bank, I think, at 23rd Street, right? Uh, yeah. Well, he had two bombs that day. Right. Uh, he put one uh, on 23rd Street and another one uh, a few blocks away. That was our introduction. That was my first day as chief of patrol and Commissioner O'Neill's first day as police commissioner. Right. You know, so it started with a real legitimate bang. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you were heavily involved in uh, in, in doing that. So, um, you know, bringing those guys to, uh, or, or it was one individual, I think, bring that guy to justice. It was yeah. pretty quick, I think, that you guys had gotten him, right? Tremendous. Yeah. The investigative work that was done uh, to get him into custody very quickly. Yeah. Uh, multiple agencies involved. You know, it was the NYPD and the FBI hand in hand, uh, getting information out. And it ended up being uh, Linden, New Jersey. Yeah. Police said because we had put out a blast uh, all over the city and all over the region, uh, they identified this guy right away. They saw him sleeping in front of a Dunkin' Donuts, engaged in a firefight with him, and, you know, finally got him into custody. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing police work. Uh, I remember yeah, uh, just hearing the stories of how that all happened and, um, you know, just being like, wow, that was, uh, <laughs> that was really amazing. Um, and, and just, you know, thank you for, for the service there. Um, so 40 years, tell me a little bit about what made you want to become a police officer and, and how you got into, uh, you know, working your way up the chain here. I always wanted to be a cop. It was in the family blood. My grandfather was a Bronx cop. Back in 1927, my father came on in 1946 after serving in World War II, another Bronx cop. Right. My brother came on in 1971, worked in the Bronx. I, I didn't have a choice. Wow. I, as soon as I graduated high school, I took the police test. Uh, and in 1982, I started and I was a Bronx cop yeah. working in Fort Apache, 4-1, where I started. Wow. 
So uh, in the early 80s there, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but not much. Um, my dad was a high school teacher at um, uh, William Howard Taft, uh, which was like at the time the third worst high school in New York City. And uh, in the in the early 80s, when we had like a, a snow day, because I had grown up in New Jersey, he wouldn't let me stay home. I'd have to go with him to school and then he would make me sit in ESL classes, you know, in the early 80s in, in uh, Taft High School. So it was... Uh, was quite interesting so i, I guess your brother oh, pr- probably uh caught the bronx's burning but but you not so much right you caught the uh <laughs> the tail end of that right yeah four uh, one Princeton. when i started the station house was the only building left on the block wow everything else had burnt down it was nothing but vacant lots at that time in the early 80s yeah and now you go back to that same block and there are apartment buildings people living there every inch of it is uh occupied Right. It's tough to park over there. When yeah. I was there, you just put it right into the vacant lot. No problem. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, you just park the car and take the plates off and walk away. You know? <laughs> I had a buddy of mine, his his dad used to do that when we lived in New Jersey. When he was done with cars, he'd take them up to the FDR and uh, uh, he'd just take the plate, park it on the side of the road up in Washington Heights, take the plates off and just walk away. <laughs> And literally an hour later would be a shell. Exactly. <laughs> I love New York. Uh, but that's amazing. I mean, you've probably seen some time, uh, some things happen in your time. Um, you know, the whole shift of, of policing, um, you know, community policing and, and, and you're going from the cruiser to community policing and just seeing the different techniques uh, along the way. It must have been uh, pretty amazing to see the evolution there and then getting the chance to actually implement your own policies, right? Absolutely. Watching how, you know, community policing started in the late 80s with Lee Brown. Mm-hmm. It, it just wasn't working. Yeah. Crime was going through the roof at that point in time. And there was too much of an emphasis on the community policing, not on the police work. Uh, that's when 94, Giuliani becomes mayor. Bill Bratton comes in and it was a start of Comstat. Yeah. That was an amazing time. You know, I was a captain back then going to the very first Comstats with Louis Adamone and Jack Maples. Wow. And and if you didn't know what was going on in your command, if you didn't have answers, they killed you. They were brutal meetings. But it's what brought the crime down in the city. Accountability. Yeah. People actually caring about uh, the violence in the command. Yeah. Pre-Comstat, a commanding officer really didn't care how many people were murdered in his command. That wasn't what he was uh, rated upon. Right. Once this came in, that's what we did. And then it just kept progressing and progressing. We probably went a little too far at one point. That's when stop and question, you know, became a measure of productivity right, instead of the constitutional tool that it really is. Yeah. You know, uh, they were being pushed to get numbers as opposed to getting results. Sure. Uh, caused frictions for the communities. And that's, you know, back in when Bratton came back in the second time, that's when I went back downtown and started to be able to implement policies where we put neighborhood policing in, which was getting every cop involved in the area. It it wasn't a separation between the community cops and the patrol cops. We had the patrol cops stay in the same neighborhoods and become that community cop. And we worked with precision policing, really identifying the the bad players in the neighborhood and putting together tremendous cases against them. Yeah. Putting them into jail so that, you know, it's not locked up and out we really hit a perfect balance in around 2017 2018 under 300 homicides in the city of new york it's amazing 
I remember we that. We look yeah. at numbers. You look at the numbers. You know, they started tracking homicides in 1928 in the city. Those two years, the only years that were ever better were 1953 and the five years during World War II, 1940 to 45. Yeah. We had it right at that point. And things have changed, and you're watching that evolution now with uh, you know legislation that's come out the anti-police sentiment, yeah. some changes that were done, uh, you know, different times. we need to get back to where we were in yeah. 2017 and 18. Yeah. I would probably say we're probably about a 150 murders today and it's, you know, <laughs> this is the second week in July or January. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a rough time. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to me to hear you talk about this stuff and I see how passionate you are and, and talking about the early nineties and, and, uh, uh, being there, uh, involved in all that. And, and I was at John Jay college. I was actually studying all this stuff as it was like real time papers were coming out. They're having discussions and, and we were having like ethical conversations about community policing and the benefits of it and, and all that. And when I distinctly remember all that. So to me, it's like, it's so cool to be able to talk to you about this because you know, who would have ever thought that you and I'd be having this conversation here. In fact, uh, chief Bratton spoke at my graduation, uh, you know, the first time I think his, his wife was a professor at the school at the time, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just, just amazing to, to see how that all, um, has changed, you know, and it really is an ebb and flow, right? You see policy work, 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 and then things don't work anymore. And somebody comes in with a fresh idea and it's, and it's, and it's different. Right. Uh, but to see where it's gone in the last couple of years, it, it's a bit alarming I mean, to me personally, um, just cause I'm used to what was going on in the nineties, <laughs> you know, like I, I missed the seventies kind of caught a tail end of the eighties, you know, nineties and, and the pro policing uh, that was going on there. It's um, it's definitely a, a bit alarming. And I have many friends that are police officers right now and just hearing the things they go through. I'm just like, wow, it's uh, it's pretty amazing that to see it turn around the way it did. I think you got out at the right time. <laughs> Listen, it, 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 it's gotten, it's a lot worse than it was uh, 17 and 18, but we're not even close to the nineties. Yeah. You know, the 400 some odd homicides, yeah. I think 480 last year, mm -hmm. 1990, 2,240 homicides. Wow. So uh, I think there are enough safeguards in place. Amstat's still being done. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to return to the 90s, but we need to get back to where we were just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sensible re legislation uh, can make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, you just, you know, throw a pandemic in there too. And, you know, yeah, true. and then like, even when you had a couple of years ago, when, when the, the two officers, um, I think it was in Staten Island that had gotten executed, um, that, that was really crazy also. Um, yeah. you know, even for me, like driving around, you know, it's like you, there was just this electricity in the air. Like you knew something could happen at any moment. And I remember having to go into precincts and it's like, there's like heavy, artillery almost in front of the precincts to get in like you know barricades and and guys guys with big guns and things like that and you're like okay i just need to get a police report like what's going on here um and i distinctly remember being um in brooklyn uh and and these get this these officers were pulling somebody over and uh it was a tr regular traffic stop and i'm sitting there in a traffic like watching this all go down and seeing the look on their faces of just being razor focused and understanding like they could be in danger at this particular point. Um, you know, you, you see people have traffic stops in the past. It's like, all right, license and registration, do whatever. But no, man, these guys were focused because, you know, there was something different going down. Um, it's very interesting to watch. 
Oh, you've seen that in special cars right now. Majority of our shootings involving cars. If you look in the city, carjackings. Yeah. Something that you really didn't talk about for a long time. They're up a lot. Yeah. You know, people are actually getting dragged out of their cars by people and, and they're taking these cars and doing a shooting with them in the neighborhood and then dumping it somewhere. Wow. So, you know, there is an element out there sure. uh, that needs to be addressed and we need to put together some great investigations because you have issues with new prosecutors, you know, let's talk right about Alvin Bragg, you know, his first stay in office saying how he's not going to send people to jail. Yeah, I know. It's a little crazy. <laughs> and, you know, people are talking about it, too. I was out last night at a lounge and, and, and folks were talking about it. It's just like, hey, just, you know, why, why don't talk so much? It's, it's all good, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and you're 100% right. Uh, why talk about it? Yeah. Why put out a memo? Yeah. You know, if you're going to prosecute less, why are you letting the world know, the criminal element know, hey, if you do this, you're not going to get prosecuted in Manhattan. Yeah. It's just, it, it's ridiculous. So yeah. hopefully he's catching a lot of pressure from all over and uh, he, he may rethink some of these policies. Yeah. B- b- baptismal by fire, <laughs> apparently, you know, welcome to the club. Um, so I, I want to take a turn here too, because I, I want to, you know, the reason I asked you to come on here today is uh, we wanted to talk cryptocurrency and investigating cri- cryptocurrency. And that, that's kind of your, your new life, your new world of, of where you're going here. Uh, but before we get into all that, um, tell me a little bit about like, like why you chose to get into that. Like, do you have a financial background or just something that, that, uh, you thought was interesting and how'd you fall into it? So it's, it, it was just a quick meeting. Uh, you know, everyone knew I was retiring. Um, someone called me up. Hey, there's a company out here that's looking to get involved with law enforcement. They've been doing this work for a while called chain analysis. They, uh, we sat down, we had a meeting, and they started explaining exactly what they're capable of doing, the work that they've done uh, on a federal level and on an international level. Uh, I knew very little of nothing about cryptocurrency. Right. Uh, it's a short conversation. It, it piqued my interest. And with everything in law enforcement, we have to stay in front of the uh, head of the criminal element. Sure. They know this. Sure. They are utilizing cryptocurrency on a regular basis. Their belief is that it's completely anonymous. And that seems to be the same belief of uh, most investigators when right. it's not. Yeah. No, it, 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 and you're right in that point because it's not. Everything's got numbers. You know, yeah. everything's assigned. Everything's to transparent. It's yeah. a public domain. Yeah. Uh, you don't even need subpoenas to actually search, uh, search through um, the blockchains. Yeah. So it's something that investigators need to really start looking at. Because uh, we're seeing it more and more, you know, yeah. New York City. Eric Adams is talking about becoming a Bitcoin city. Yeah. Miami, uh, Mayor Suarez is already moving towards a Bitcoin city. Yeah, yeah. Those General are- people are, are investing in it, and the more people, especially naive people, invest in it, the more they're going to get scammed. Yeah. More people are going to steal their money, and it's us uh, on the investigative end, law enforcement end, that have to be able to investigate these sort of things so i think there's two reasons why that happened right first you've got all these apps out like coinbase and whatever that make it really easy to trade and get involved in crypto without really understanding and knowing what it is or or actually even having a wallet right so if you have a a, an application you can use on your phone where you can ride into that bitcoin game and really understand uh you know 
how this all works or, or, or at least hedge on it, right? With your money, not even necessarily understanding, but just hedging on it with your money. Um, I think that opened a lot of doors for that. I feel also that the government giving out money to people, you got all these extra checks that were handed out to people last year, you know, to try and, you know, help them get back on their feet again. I think a lot of people took this uh, discretionary income and said, oh, I got a few extra bucks. I hear you can get very rich, you know, on cryptocurrency. I, I don't know anything about this stuff, but I'm going to get involved with it, right? So I, I think that there's a trend in, in that sense, too, that folks now they have this money laying around and they see you know on instagram or social media all these 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 bitcoin millionaires you know telling you like you know be like me uh you know you can do all this stuff and uh they 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 really um they, they get rich quick scheme you know which is con man 101 <laughs> it's not just yeah. online right that's uh you know uh they're able to do an analysis and they looked 14 billion dollars last year Traded in cryptocurrency to illicit sites. Right. That's you know that shows you the amount of money in this world that's going around these different fraud sites, gambling sites, human trafficking. Right. There's a lot of money, and like you said, everyone saw people making tons of money in Bitcoin, and they feel they have to invest, and it just opens the door for that scam artist to get into that wallet and steal their money. Yeah, I mean that whole Dogecoin thing last year was like. It was crazy. And then you got a guy coming on Saturday Night Live and he's, you know, he, yep, yep, yep. He says, says something and all of a sudden it goes right down the toilet. You know, it's like, it was almost like it. These are what hedge fund, hedge fund managers used to do back in the day, right? Talking things up and then talking things down and letting it go. And it's just like, this is at a whole nother level of how they're doing things. It's pretty amazing. NFTs and, you know, all these things that are coming out. Some people are making money. A lot of people are losing money. Yeah. Which is where, you know, folks like you and, and others that specialize in this stuff, um, you know, being able to recover uh, funds. I mean, this stuff happens all the time. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. When we come back from the break, I'll, I'll actually get into an experience that, that uh, I personally had with uh, some of this stuff. And uh, interesting to see how it all kind of hedged out uh, and the exposure there. So we're, we are going to jump out real quick. So let's take a, a quick break. And when we come back in, we'll, we'll just keep hammering down on this topic and uh, you know talking a little further. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Satellite Investigations is the premier investigation resource in New York State. Founder Matthew Spare was named PI Magazine's Investigator of the Year. If you need investigative assistance in New York State, visit their site at SatellitePI.com. Get results, not excuses. Registration is open for the first annual Security and Licensed Investigator Conference in Augusta, Georgia. Gain skill and knowledge from top-tier speakers. You'll learn from the industry's leading professionals in security and investigation on the following topics. Practical aspect of death investigation, perimeter and facility security, organized crime investigations for private investigators, negligent security investigations, crimes against disabled adults and the elderly, CADE, 
C-A-D-E, active shooter mitigation training, how to engage your federal law enforcement partners, investigating officer-involved shootings, and ethics for private investigators. Learn more by visiting cga-solutions.com. That's cga-solutions.com. See the link in the show notes. And we're back here on PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, I have the incredible honor today to have uh, Terrence Monahan on the show. Terrence, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, so great to have you here. So great to talk about this stuff, man, because I, I think, um, you know, as investigators, when you hear cryptocurrency, it's like, wow, you know, I, I don't know anything about this. I don't even know where to begin to uh, investigate all this. And and I, you brought up a point earlier when we were chatting uh, about having, you know, that footprint, right? Everything's got a number assigned to it. You just really got to know where to look. And the fact that um, it is, um, you know, these are records you don't have to subpoena, uh, which I think is very interesting too. Um, how do uh, how do folks get started in, in doing this particular type of investigation? What would be, uh, uh, you know, your company you're working with right now, what would be a situation where somebody would come to you um, when they had something that happened? All right, so we've run uh, a lot of different cases uh, throughout, the, throughout the country. And now we're starting to get police departments buying this product. Mm. And it's, it's a tool. It's a reactive tool that can go into the blockchain. There are nodes within the blockchain. And it can read that transaction. And it can follow where that transaction has gone through the entire blockchain. Right. I'll give you a, a quick case uh, that they they worked on. This was a drug case in the city. Internet drug sales. So you get a conversation on one of these dark websites. A guy complaining. He bought drugs off of this guy. And he got beat on it. He sent him money on Bitcoin for all transactions. <laughs> how dare him? How dare him? <laughs> Taking place on this. And he lists the, you know, the transaction number that he sent to this wallet. Right. So now we were able to take that transaction number, follow it into this guy's wallet. And now the tool that we have, the reactor tool can now go through that wallet and pick out every transaction that's taken place within that wallet and where it's gone to. That's great. So we were able to trace that back to a whole bunch of different dark websites, conversations that he was having people sending him in transactions from those sites it would be the drug money that he's coming in. Right. Following all of that to where he sends out. So eventually we find him going to Coinbase. That's where he's cashing out. Right. You also were able to, he went to a bunch of Bitcoin ATMs we can locate the ATMs that he was going to. Right. So we're able to set up surveillance on those ATMs at the times he was going. We were able to get him going to those Bitcoin ATMs. So now you had photos of him making the transactions, taking the money out. Went to Coinbase and it's just a simple subpoena yeah. to them. What IP address, who was these transactions, who took that money out? Yeah. Again, that identified him matches up to the guy that we have going to the Bitcoin ATM and that's it. This can't be done on a, uh, you know, there are public sites to try and follow these transactions. Yeah. You're not going to get that whole wallet on a public site. This is a tool that can twirl it all up and give you it all and put it on a spreadsheet. That's absolutely tremendous. When you go to court, you have to be a techie guy. You know, I don't think you're, your average investigator is going to get a little lost. Right. Uh, but if you have a guy who's doing this on a regular basis, 
they they understand. Uh, we spoke yeah. to a, a group of state police investigators just yesterday, extremely knowledgeable on it, and they they were actually talking about the frustration that they have trying to follow this chain on publicly available sites. Yeah. We explained how we did this so that this is now something that if you're a, a financial investigator, if you're a drug investigator, uh, you're going to see this sort of movement a lot. And, and as more people get involved in crypto, uh, we're going to need to have these tools and you're going to need specialists, yeah. guys who know this sort of work mm-hmm. that your average investigator can go to and, and do have them run the analytics to move the case forward. Now, as you talk about people getting their wallets stolen, 30 to 40 major crimes a month right now in the NYPD from just cryptocurrency. Vast majority of them are grand losses, someone hacking into your wallet and stealing, which great hacking. There's so many easy scams to get into a wallet. You know, you, you go to any sort of Bitcoin event right now, and there's always someone that wants to give you a free coin. Yep. So, hey, a free coin. And, and that's what organizers will do. The hacker will be there, too. And he'll be willing, you know, he'll send the thing to your phone. Hey, grab my free coin. And people, oh, wow, free coin. They put it into their wallet, and that hack now steals all your money. Yeah. So, so that's something like Robinhood and even Coinbase was doing that for a bit. When you, when you sign up for them, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to give you free coins just cause you, you know, you're putting money in here. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm not taking any of that stuff. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Cause that's, they're into your wallet. Yeah. You know, you put that, these guys, like the criminal element, man, they know this better than we do. They find a way. And they know how to steal it. Yeah. But at least with this tool, even when you get your wallet hacked, and they take, we can follow where that money went. Yeah. And we can follow that chain to the point that there's going to be a cash out. Because once you have that cash out, that's when we're going to be able to use regular uh, subpoena powers, regular investigative tools to be able to identify through an IP, through a cell phone, through any of that. You know, that that's so interesting that they, they have this concept that came up with these things. Because if you think about it, right? So you, you train the investigator how to investigate it, Right. Then you got to essentially train the DA's office how to prosecute it, right? They right. have to understand it. But then you got to make it simple enough that you can actually educate the jury when you're presenting to a grand jury, right? So having a tool like that really help, it helps, right? If you can essentially create these spreadsheets and, and this map work of how it all works, it's a lot easier to understand uh, when you're trying to put this stuff together because it is so it, complex, it, right? It's very complicated when you really look at it. But when you take it and now you start spreading it out, basically, making it for those that don't do this sort of work to understand it. Right. Call, call it nicely. This is the site he got it from here. This is the sort of stuff he was taking. This is how he cashed out. These are the broad sites that he goes to. Right. That's, you know, that has to be done in such a way. Mm-hmm. We did it with Palantir for, for years, another mm-hmm. complicated system that, well, once you have to iron it out, make it presentable it works yeah that's where uh, this world is right now that's where this product is going that's great that's great and um do you guys uh how do you sell like a a subscription base or is it uh, like a per diem type thing how does that work it's a uh, subscription base so different agencies will buy you know you have 10 analysts right 
that are going to actually be utilizing this tool. Well, they'll pay for the 10 analysts, uh, the company will do the training, mm-hmm. how to utilize the tool. We have 24 uh, seven assistance. We have an investigative team that if you're on a case uh, and you need help trying to decipher everything, yeah, they will take it and look at it. They will want everything themselves, give you uh their view on it and at that point they can be uh, an expert witness for you too in a, in a trial yeah i mean i'm sure you would you would need that at some point someone's got to be able to explain it uh in, in in good terms um yeah so a lot of this this tool has been used federally the irs uses it it's taken down from scam websites mm-hmm. uh it's been used in major ransomware cases internationally tracking down where the money was so as the company until started, this was all looked as a Europol, an FBI, IRS sort of tool on a national, international level. Mm-hmm. But then they're realizing as these crimes are happening on the local level, that the same tool can be used locally to help investigations. So it, it, it's really just, right. you know, Manhattan, Queens, DAs, they've taken it now, which hits right on your point that yeah. it's great that the cops know it, the prosecutors got to know it. They got to understand it, yeah. And understand it. It, it. It's there's a lot of things as cryptocurrency usage continues around this uh, around the world. We have to learn how to investigate it. We have to create experts at it in departments all over this country. So, is this something that like the Treasury Department is involved with, or I'm sorry, the um, Secret Service is involved with also, or, yes. or no? Yeah, yeah, because you would think that with the with the money aspect. Yeah, this, again, this was all really focused on a federal level. Yeah. Uh, until very recently. Right. Right. That's amazing. That's really, uh, really cool stuff. Um, yeah. I, so yeah, I had, I talked about earlier about a scam that I had, uh, had knowledge of. So, um, you know, years ago when we had met some people that were putting together a, it was an internet startup, right. And it's like, Hey, it's Bitcoin based and this is the theory. And you know, the, the initial concept of the, um, uh, the product was a security related, uh, product that would help the consumer control how their data is being used and like who it's being sent to on the retail aspect, right? So you go to these online shop- shopping experiences and um, they sell your data. Everybody knows they do that, right? So this was giving you the ability to prevent that from happening. Um, and then it, it kind of took a, a shift from there that, it, you know, it was um, having like an online cryptocurrency um, environment to buy close and, and all this other stuff. So they started like putting these proposals together and doing these things and it all sounded great. They're raising money and, and uh, you know, now it's getting bigger and bigger. Apparently they've got big contracts with big retailers. Well, it turns out the whole thing was just a scam, right? So they, they had like forged contracts, signatures on contracts and things like that. So um, the uh, one of the DA's office came in and just took everything and, and like hundreds of millions of dollars of, of Bitcoin got seized. And now they're still trying to figure out how to give the investors their money back, which is uh, amazing. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, I think it's probably about three years now. They're still trying to figure out how to give everybody their money back. Uh, you know, because there were a lot of investors. There were initial investiga- uh, investors with, you know, convertible notes. And the, it's a whole big mess. Uh, but it was interesting, you know, like to, to be a fly in the wall and all that and see how it all kind of un- unfurled. Um, and I remember I had a, a conversation with somebody and they're like, you know, 
like you're an investigator. Why didn't you like do more due diligence on this and figure this out? It's like, well, I don't know. Somebody put a signed contract in front of me. You're like, I don't know the person who signed that contract personally. I got to assume that there's a signature on there. It's, it's a notarized signature. So somebody notarized it that it's legit. Like I, I'm not going to question that, but uh, yeah, so it happened. And, and this, it, it's definitely an international flavor of how that all happened. And it, it, it very interesting to see how it all kind of shifted and and i mean i'm talking this thing probably started six years ago so you know it was very new the whole bitcoin cryptocurrency thing people didn't really understand it um and and the concept but now you see these things happen all the time (laughs) you know constantly you get like you'll you'll get the notices from the da's office of oh yeah we made this arrest we did that arrest and and all that and um you know, it, interesting too. I think it goes all the way back to even Silk Road. Like I had done an episode with uh, Vincent D'Agostino, an FBI agent um, who uh, was involved with with being a part of that team, and and um, you know, hearing about all that. And and you, you talk, you know, dark web and and crypto. I think that was probably the first hey flag. Something's going on here, right? Yeah. Well, that uh, again, I don't, I can't talk deeply about it, but. Yeah. The company was deeply involved in that case. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they were a lot of the tracking, tons of seizures. Yeah, yeah, it was big. Yeah. A lot of money. Yeah, they made a movie out of it. That's, that's, that's how important it was. <laughs> somebody, somebody said we can make a movie out of it, which is cool. Um, so, what do you see like the future? What are you excited about um, in this aspect? Um, you know, you have this great tool, but where do you see this going in the next couple of years? What I see is local law enforcement, you know, major cities understanding it and investigating it. Right, right now, it's not being investigated. I can tell you for a fact, a uh, detective catching a case right now sees someone's digital wallet was stolen, mm-hmm. has no clue, does not have the tools, is incapable of tracking down who stole that money and getting it back for it. Yeah. As you move forward and listen to it, this is a tool that was used by a federal level and federal cases. Once you start giving it in the hands of a cop, they're going to find so many different ways to utilize this tool to solve cases. And that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. Once I get a good investigator who understands the tool, utilizes it, he says, wait, I know we can do this, but if I do ABC on this tool, I can do this and help in this other case. Right. I, I see seizures because you mentioned uh, the Silk Road, the million C's, the amount of money in the case you were talking about. For police agencies, there could be a lot of money that they can get off their hands on. Assets that the criminal element has sitting in Bitcoin somewhere that now, at the end of a case, it becomes the agency's money. Yeah. Help put more cops on the street. Yeah. If the agency is getting this sort of cash out of a Bitcoin seizure, Get them new cars. Get them the equipment they need to continue doing the work. Yeah, but they got to sell on an, on an uptick, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, that, that's that's the other very interesting aspect of it, right? Here you have this currency that's constantly the value of it's changing, right? So a hundred million dollar seizure could be a two hundred million dollar seizure if you just hold on to it for a year and you know like or when it could is, be a 30 million dollar season right right so it's like when is the appropriate time to tap out right uh and i in the case i talked about earlier you know it, that those those were one of the con- things i was thinking about like okay well when's the right time to liquidate this stuff because you know they had said that we're going to liquidate the assets and then decide what to do with it um 
but it's like, okay, you know, maybe you don't, maybe hold on to and see, see what happens. Cause it's, it looks like the trend is going upwards and it, and that's the thing. It's so volatile. It does go up and down uh, that you just don't know. Um, but it, it, that always fascinated me that the seizing of these, of the coin and the value of the coin changing, like how does that affect the dynamics of prosecuting the case? Right. And I mean, it's a, so that's part interesting. Of what you have to do is once you seize it, you have to document what was the worth that day. Right. Or when criminal activities are taking place and that money is going, well, that transaction happened on January 2nd or how much was stolen January 2nd. Gotcha. Not what it's going to be worth January 5th or, you know, or not. We have to be able to, within that case, that's what they'll do to document, you know, X amount of Bitcoin, January 1st worth $1.2 million. Right. And it's there and it's for that investigator, for the prosecution can say, well, this is stolen this day. It may be worth this now, but the date it was stolen and that's, fits the criminal element that you need to do the prosecution. It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's good that they thought about it. It's like, okay, yeah. how, how are we going to approach this? Because, you know, it's, it's a question, especially if you're talking about like a minimal amount of money, right? So one day it's a felony and the next day it's a misdemeanor. <laughs> like it just keeps going up and down, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so very, exactly. very interesting, you know, and, and, you know, to have somebody come in and say, Hey, my wallet was stolen. It's like, yeah, okay. Go to Coles and buy another wallet. No, no. A digital <laughs> wallet. Like, my know. digital wallet. Well, where? My house. <laughs> Someone went on my computer or hacked me, and all of a sudden, my right. bitcoins are gone. Yeah, you know? or or my NFTs, which is the new thing. Which yeah, yeah, that's a whole. I don't know. Pete Davidson did a whole thing on the Saturday Night Live on it. I'm like, it still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and that would have, I, I've understood some of the cryptos, Bitcoin, the NFTs. Yeah. We got to get ahead of that too. Yeah, the concept is interesting. I, I think like like the guy who used to be on the Nets, right? Who um who ended up, he's placed for Washington now, the Spencer Dinwiddle guy. Like he was selling um, an NTF based upon his contract, the value of his contract, you know? And the con he was like one of the first guys to do that. And it's like, wow, that's super interesting. But then he blows his knee out. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> I don't know who invested in right. that or what, but it's just so crazy. Uh, who knows? Yeah. How Bitcoin first started. Guys had Bitcoin and they know with a Bitcoin, I could buy a pizza with it. Right. And they were buying pizzas with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, if they held on to it, it was $40,000. Yeah. That was a $40,000 pizza sold. Yeah. I have a really good friend of mine. He's a cop up in Yonkers, actually. Had a similar situation. So he, he bought a bunch of Bitcoin when it was super cheap, like, I don't know, five years ago, five, six years ago. And he's like, man, he goes, I'd, I'd be a millionaire now if I held on to this <laughs> stuff. He goes, I'm just so darn impatient. You know, like it got to yep. a particular level and I'm like, oh, I, I made like a thousand dollars. Cool. Time to tap out. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, that's why we're cops. We don't know when to tap in and tap out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all good stuff. I, th I think we're going to wind down here, man. This was really cool. This is very interesting. Just a little taste of what's going on. So tell me the name of this software. I don't think we actually um, talked about it. The company Chainalysis. Chainalysis. Okay. So chain analysis, you go on uh, go on the website, you can look at it. Uh, if you're part of an agency, uh, you can reach out to me. Mm -hmm. I'll make an introduction to your agency. They'll do a whole presentation for you. They'll show you how the tool works. You know, there's two levels. There's the executive level presentation, which will keep it nice and simple. Mm -hmm. And then if you have your analysts, the guys who really know this work, we can go deep into it. 
And uh, if you have a case you're working on, we can give you a quick sample of how the tool will help you along in that case. Right. So would you sell to private companies if, if they do like this type of work? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, I know there there are some like investigative companies that that have a division that do this type of stuff, or you know they they look into it. So that's uh, that's good to know. Um, Terrence, what's the best way to get a hold of you if uh, they, anyone had questions? My email it's Terry T E R R Y at Monahan Consulting dot com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Chief, thank you so much for coming on. This is, again, an incredible honor for me. I'm still like giddy that, you know, I was at John Jay College studying stuff that you were actually doing. <laughs> like, it totally made my day. <laughs> like, how did I get here and <laughs> type stuff? Yeah. Um, and it's just so cool, man. I, I appreciate uh, you coming on and just uh, chatting. And I, I wish you luck with this stuff. I think uh, I think it's very cool and uh, it's definitely cutting edge. And uh, I, I think you're onto something. So. Thank, yeah, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll catch you guys next week on the next show. Thanks to Terry for jumping on and talking about this fascinating subject. It's amazing how this field continues to grow and expand at such a fast rate. We also want to thank Crosstrack, Scope Now, PI Institute of Education, Satellite Investigations, and the first annual Security and License Investigators Conference in Augusta, Georgia, for sponsoring this show. So please support our great supporters. Now, have you thought about joining InvestigatorsToolbox.com yet? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest-growing digital community for investigative professionals. This Monday, January 28th, Harriet Gold will join Matt on Investigators Insight to do a Q&A on subcontractors. They will answer all your questions on how to use them or how to be one. This meeting is only available for Toolbox members, so join up now. And if you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show, so make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.